This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to today's Positive Parenting Show. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. The Gallup Company did research that confirmed that nearly 90% of employees are indifferent or actively disengaged at work. That is pretty shocking stuff. At the same time, less than 10% of the population believes that they're living a fulfilling life on purpose. Those are pretty disturbing statistics, wouldn't you say? That means that there's a 90% chance that you are one of those unfulfilled individuals. How would you like to change that? Well, I can't guarantee it, but in this part of today's show, we can get you certainly on the path toward discovering who you are and what you're meant to be doing in life. In this part of today's show, we're going to be speaking with Ken Keyes, who's been a guest on the show before and is an expert in purpose and self-discovery and putting all of that together to get you on the path, again, towards being who you are meant to be. We'll be talking about the difference between meaning and purpose and why you need to find meaning first. We'll be talking about the kind of mindset that you need to succeed, what you really value, identifying those values, and also thinking about the words and phrases that you use in your own head when thinking about your own life and your life goals. I'm Armand Brock. Quick, grab a pencil and something to write on and get ready to launch your own quest for purpose. Stay with us. We'll be right back. McGruff the crime dog here. Let's hear from an identity thief. Identities are easy to catch online. I send people an official-looking email pretending to be their bank or credit card company and ask them to confirm their personal information. Hooks them every time. Safeguard your personal information on the phone, online, and especially at home because half of identity theft occurs by someone you think you know. Keep your identity to yourself and take a bite out of crime. Learn more from the National Crime Prevention Council at ncpc.org. A message from this station, the U.S. Department of Justice, Crime Prevention Coalition of America, and the National Crime Prevention Council. I don't recycle. I mean, we can just find another planet for your kids to live on, you know? Log on to yougottobekidding.org and learn about all the ways you can recycle. Hey, recycling's just not my thing. Don't be that guy. Log on to yougottobekidding.org. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. My guest for this part of today's show is Ken Keyes, who's the author of The Quest for Purpose, a self-discovery process to find it and live it. Ken, thanks for joining us, or thanks for joining us again. You were on the show a couple of years ago. Well, it's uh, thank you for uh, re-inviting me or inviting me back. It's always a pleasure to serve you and your guests in whatever way that we can. Well, and I'm going to put you to, to the task here. So you talk about how... I I talked about this in the introduction, so I don't want to go over it again, but that less than 10% of the population believes that they're living a fulfilling life on purpose. Explain that a little bit, because I I go back and forth on this about what a fulfilling life is. Is it something that's fulfilling to you, or is it something that you're doing to make the world a better place? Because those those can overlap, but they don't necessarily overlap 100%, and both of those could be fulfilling. Well, the answer, uh, Armin, is yes. <laughs> so it's really both. Uh, you know, when we think about, you know, some of the stats out there, and it's sort of a sad state of affairs. Here we are, never been more prosperous, but also never been more confused. And so part of our contribution is to figure out, you know, why are we here? 
And based in getting into that space, you know, I do believe all of us have assignment, a calling, a purpose, whatever word you want to use. But when I get into that space, that is my highest level of contribution. And so it could be something privately that I do for the global sort of, you want to call it uh, humanity, or it could be something one-on-one that I'm doing if I'm working where, as you do, you know, helping parents and fathers to uh, be better at uh, the calling of serving their kids and and growing up uh, great young adults. Well, but what I'm saying is that at some point, though, you could have a career where you're doing good things for other people and you're making the world a better place. But not everybody's a Mother Teresa. And, you know, some people are going to say, look, I'm just not making any money at this. I, 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 can't, I can't deal with it. Like, I'm, I'm helping everybody else. I can't pay my own rent. And I'm going to go mm. get a job as an investment banker and, you know, screw the whole thing. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it, it's... There, there seems to be. If it was a Venn diagram, there's, there's an area in the middle where the where the do it for yourself to make yourself feel good and and wake up in the morning, feeling good, or do it for everybody else. And you'd like those things to be one and the same, but they aren't all the time. Um, true enough. I think the traditional thinking would say that it's one or the other. You know, in the book, I talk about a, a concept called simultaneous activation. And I don't believe we have to give up our passion or purpose um, to do one thing so that I can actually fund the other. Uh, my belief is, is that both are interrelated. They're connected. You know, you've um, had this passion for nearly 20 years or maybe over already, Armin, as far as helping fathers. You've been able to, and parents, and you've been able to figure out how to serve you in that area. Now, sometimes... You know, I have a, a quote-unquote, a real job and a real environment to be able to do something else. But I shouldn't be miserable in that work to be able to go do this other component. And that's really what I uh, teach in the book as a system or process to say, you know, we are all given or at, as a birthright. I, n- I have no idea how to explain it, how we get it. But, you know, I have this interest or passion to help others to realize their potential in whatever context. I have no idea where it comes from, but I actually grew up on a dairy farm arm. So what, you know, what does a dairy farm have to do with me being a professional speaker or trainer or developer of educational tools for 30 years? It doesn't. So I was good at that, but I also had to realize that my call was in a different space, and that's really that journey. So a lot of times we have to maybe make decisions that aren't maybe popular or maybe I've had all this training I'll give an example, Armin. I had a friend of mine, medical doctor, just coming close to his 40th birthday, and he hired me as a coach, and he says, Ken, I am miserable. And I said, why is that? He says, I hate medicine as a doctor. I said, what do you mean? I said, you went to school for all those years. And he said, well, I always did what my dad wanted me to do. So there's, so he followed this path. He was diligent. He passed all the exams. And guess what he moved into, Armin? He moved into being a coach for other doctors who are stressed. Hmm. So now he has this affinity or this expertise connecting with the medical community, but at the same time really he's helping other people to realize their potential. And it didn't happen overnight. I worked with him for over a year to plan the transition and work that out, but now it is a business for him in a different way. So Fascinating. that's possible. Yeah. So this is the kind of thing that's going to hit parents at various points. I think earlier on, 
they're thrilled. They love being parents, and, and they always talk about how wonderful their kids are when, when they're little. And quite often, when things start getting difficult, a lot of people, many, many of whom won't actually admit it, but I think most of us have this thought at some point, you question whether you made the right decision to have a parent, you know, to, to have kids or not. You wonder, I hope I'm not being too <laughs> so terribly self-revealing here, and I'm glad my kids aren't listening right now. But anyway, I think everybody everybody has these, uh, these moments where you think, oh, I, you know, things could have been so much better for me. Or things could have, things could be so different. Or why did we do this? And and it, it, you know, like like your friend the doctor, did I waste well, all this time? Right. And I I suspect. I mean, we could have this self guilt or self loathing where we are upset with oneself. However, there is no evidence that that is beneficial to our life. So part of you know one of the things I teach in the book is people are uh, hindering or not getting connected to their real joy in life because they have this self-loathing. They haven't forgiven themselves. So we have this condition of regret. Yes, he said, I did it. But at this point, regret or anger towards himself or being upset towards himself is not, there's, there's no benefit to it. So we just help people let that go. It is what it is. What did I learn from it? What it really actually, in the end, <clears throat> has contributed to his own journey, to his own business, to serve mm-hmm. a group of practitioners who normally don't get served. Who, right. uh, yeah, I remember yeah. a lot of times where I'd be hanging out with um, senior CEOs, and um, people wouldn't really approach them, wouldn't uh, support them because, uh, you know, they've made it. Well, that's not true. They have as much or more issues than anybody else. And so... For us, I think it's just letting that go, Armin, and yeah, and learn from it. And yes, if I was to do it again, I'd do it differently. But so what? And it's being able to let that go. And when we think about parenting, we all go through it. I have two children, as you know, as you have children as well. And my um, son actually just got married this year. He's 22. My daughter just left the house before this interview. She's uh, 21, finishing her fourth year in university and college. You know what? They're just a delight, just a delight. So I think sometimes. Uh, there's all kinds of evidence that our self-worth and our confidence will highly influence our kids. I know you teach this. Yeah. And so yeah. I, need to, I need to be, in spite of what's going on, I need to be the stable force. I need to be the, the rock. And so how can I do that? How can I be that to them in spite of what I see? Because they will go through these moments. And I could share some too, but right. Well, you know, let's <laughs> let's uh, let's get into some of the specifics. We're we're coming up on the on the end of our first segment, but I want to talk about just going through this in the book, the finding meaning and the difference between meaning and purpose. Yes, we will do that for sure. Well, let's talk Did about. You want that. to cover that now, or yeah, why, why, don't, the why don't we start with that now? Well, part of what when I did the research to put the book together. Most of the other authors just really avoided this. And what I mean by meaning is people need to come to a conclusion about why we are here. You know, is there something going on that's beyond us or not? And somebody says, because our belief systems highly influence what we do or don't do. If I believe in nothing, then my belief system is nothing. And so as human beings, you can't have no belief system because that even that uh, commitment to nothing that is going to influence what you do. And so I challenge people in the book that this is a critical search for people for their journey. And I went through it as well. I don't have time in this segment for 
talking about it, but I cover in the book about, you know, my journey to be able to find out what spiritual truth is and what does that mean, and that highly influences people's journey to get clear about their purpose. Talking with Ken Keyes, who's the author of The Quest for Purpose, A Self-Discovery Process to Find It and Live It. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk again. want to get into a little bit more about the meaning versus purpose discussion and also things like uh, whether you have a winning mindset and character traits that will help you to figure out all of these things. We'll also talk about your mindset and how your vocabulary and the words that you use affect your ability to move forward. I'm Armand Brott, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. You wanted to see me? Yes, please. Have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team. But I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. We want to hire you. You're, you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broad. If you're just joining us, talking with Ken Keyes, who's the author of The Quest for Purpose, A Self-Discovery Process to Find It and Live It. And l- let's, let's start getting into some of these things about the self-discovery par- process. How do, we, how do we find our purpose in life? Well, one of the things, Armin, is I just want to say this beforehand. Okay. A lot of times people don't have purpose or haven't found it, haven't discovered it, haven't connected to it because they haven't been willing to do the work. You know, so when I went through this own journey, and I shared earlier in the show that I was, I grew up on a dairy farm, but I knew that that wasn't really my uh, calling or assignment in life. I knew when I was 16 that I just loved speaking and communicating, is I actually went and hired a coach for the better part of a year to vet and to clarify. And that's really what the book does is that there's a series of exercises and activities and I need to make a commitment that if I don't have my purpose, then my purpose is to find my purpose. And Hmm. that this reality is, well, maybe I don't have one. That's not true. All of us have an assignment. I believe that we do. There's been no evidence to contrary to that for people, but I need to take personal responsibility and it doesn't necessarily happen overnight. And it's this vetting process to say, okay, Maybe I'm not doing what I want to do or what's passionate for me. So that's actually in itself beneficial, Armin, is excluding things. Well, I, I would never be, as we talked about, a medical doctor. I mean, people would die. This would not be a good thing. <laughs> or an auto mechanic because your car would break down. So I know what I'm not supposed to go to. So as much as moving towards, you can also define you know, moving away from it. So, okay, that's not in this pool. 
in the U.S. right now, they have 40,000 job titles. That's the problem is that people are confused because if we went back 200 years ago, I don't think there were 40,000 job titles. So maybe there were 400. And so now we have to kind of get clearer about ourselves. Now, what I talk about in the book are two other concepts to get clear is even if I'm clear about who I'm supposed to be, I talk in Chapter 4 about a winning mindset, meaning if I don't have the confidence, if I don't have the optimism, then I won't act on the direction that I really want to go. So, you know, we do a lot of work with career development professionals or other individuals like yourself who are encouraging people to realize their potential or see, uh, you know, what's possible for them. But if I don't believe I can do it, then I won't act on it. And so when we think about successful individuals, is they have an optimistic mindset. Now, in the book, Dr. Martin Singelman was kind enough, who wrote the book Learned Optimism, to let his research stand in the book and went in, in my book. And what he confirmed in a 25-year study, Armin, is that our mindset is a predictor of our future success. So I might be doing the right thing, but if I have a pessimistic mindset and how I respond to both successes and failures, then I'm not going to realize that potential. And so people need to kind of have that right. framework. Or, or if you live in fear constantly, well, how are you going to ever get anything done? Well, that's I can see that that's a global thing to have a have, whether you're going to have a positive mindset or a negative mindset. But I, I'm I think I mean I know this is true about myself. It, it, it changes from day to day. I mean, some days there's a lot more energy and can really say this is you know I'm going to get all these things done and I get everything done and have lots of time left over at the end of the day because I was so driven and other days it's just oh nothing's ever going to happen and i don't i mean how do you take the the well the bottoms out of that you want to keep the tops but how do you keep the 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 playing field of your mindset a little bit more even well part of it is just even being conscious about what we say and so he created a concept called cave which basically says what i'm saying my words matter, Armin. So how I respond to things, and this becomes uh, a teachable point. He's been so successful in his work, they actually created a thing called happiness clubs for the Girl Scouts of the U.S. to help girls. I mean, when you think about as parents, and having a daughter is, you know, when they get 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, there's this tween sort of peer pressure. So they created these uh, clubs to help them to be conscious and aware about how I respond, how other people say, what they say, but also what do I say to myself. So self-worth is also a chapter in the book talking about worthiness, and that's that whole thing that we went back to uh, confidence. And so being conscious and aware, what am I saying? And it's true. It's not really realistic that we're always going to be in the top of the mountain. Myself as well. I mean, I do it. But it's way less than it used to be. I'm way more on the upper side than I'm on the lower side. The other thing that I talk about in the, uh, in the book, and I have a diploma in nutrition and genetics, is really our wellness levels too, Armin, is that uh, fatigue makes cowards of us all. I mean, if you're a young parent, you're not getting any sleep. Oh, man, that could be really stressful. Or if you're not getting to bed on time, or you're not taking care of yourself in terms of how you're eating and your, your fitness levels then a lot of these things won't be realized because I don't have the energy to do it. And so I need to own that space as well. Well, l let me go back to something a little more, more basic, which I think is, is the place where a lot of people get hung up. And you, you mentioned this very briefly, that you think that everybody has 
a purpose of some kind or a calling of some kind. I, I would I think that the vast majority of people would are they they just kind of go through life and they do what what your friend did. He went into medicine because that's what he what he expected to to do. That's what he was expected to do. There was a a, a wonderful thing. I've talked about this before when I dropped my daughter, my oldest daughter, off at college, a meeting of uh, the parents with the president of the university, and, and somebody, was, a parent got up and was very, very panicked in a way, and she said, I, I'm very concerned. My son has got no major yet, and we don't know what to do with him, and the university professor, the president, stopped her and said, you know, I really like it when kids come in here without a major, because when they come in with a major, it's usually what everybody else has told them that they're good at. And they don't so get true. a chance to develop on their own. And But how do we figure that out? I think the process of elimination that you talked about, uh, these are the things I, I and you, you get that from a lot of job experiences. You realize this I like, this I like, this I will never, ever do again. Uh, but how do you begin to, to figure that out in a, in a calm way? Well, part of what I include in part three of The Quest is Life is constantly leaving its clues, Armin. And are we paying attention to it? And so here's the exercise that we do, no matter what age you are. Now, as you get older, there's new research that shows that the reflective side of our life, the ability to move out of the cognitive side to the reflective sort of emotional side, really only starts when and develops when we're 17, 18, 19. So that's why first and second and third year students at university are just vetting through it. Just give them space. Don't worry, parents because they don't know what they're doing. This is their journey that they have to do. Is when our life leaves clues, what I get people to do is pay attention to all the elements, the pieces that you've engaged in your life up to this point in life that you have found enthralling, you found interesting, you found energizing. I believe that interests compel, meaning they draw you to it. You don't, this word, I need to motivate myself, is actually a false um, sort of concept is that if somebody loves golf that's listening here, I don't need to motivate you to go play golf. You just go out there and you do it. You don't necessarily know why you love it, but you just enjoy it. And so when we talk about it, there are all these little components. So when you're hanging out with friends in this group, do you love that? Do you like music or not like music? So all these little tidbits. And so I get you to actually write an autobiography of all these positive experiences. And as you move through to the end of that autobiography, it's starting to leave clues, little pieces. And I get you to create sort of what I call a, a, a keyword table, where we still distill your life down to 12 to 16 keywords that really represent the core of who you are. Now, I took six and a half months of doing that to be able to get to that level, and then from there to create I call proactive statements of little micro vision statements of where I want to go in my life as a result of it. So again, as we said before, this takes work, but it's enjoyable work if you're willing to commit to it. And so that's part of that process, Armin, where I get people to journal. Uh, you know, if you want to record it, that's fine, but you still need to create a printed document so you can analyze the words, and I take you through a process to do that. Okay. I think people are going to have to pick up the book to, to learn more about it. The book is called The Quest for Purpose, A Self-Discovery Process to Find It and Live It. It's by Ken Keyes, and it's K-E-I-S. And uh, what's the website if people wanted to look into it's this? It's thequestforpurpose.ca. C-A. So thequestforpurpose.ca. 
And, of course, our website is MrDad.com. If you happen to have missed some part of the show and you want to hear it from the beginning or you want to hear one of the hundreds and hundreds of other podcasts we've got available on the site, again, MrDad.com. All right, Ken, thanks so much for joining us. Well, it's welcome. It's always a pleasure, Armin. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food. We've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brunt. It's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad, everyone knows about the crisis of overweight and obese kids. With the Winter Olympics just a few weeks away, I got to wondering whether so many kids being fat and out of shape will affect the United States' ability to compete, not necessarily in these Olympics, but in the future. What do you think? Well, Your question reminded me of a study I read a few years ago that found that kids in the U.S. were 18% less aerobically fit than their parents were when they were the same age. Worldwide, kids are 15% less fit, so we're a bit worse than average. Put a little bit differently, today's children take about 90 seconds longer to run a mile than kids 30 to 40 years ago. That is a big difference. Now, thinking about that study reminded me of when I was about nine years old and came home bragging one night to my parents and grandparents who were over for dinner about how I'd won a race at school and was one of the fastest kids. Grandpa, who was 72 at the time, wasn't terribly impressed and challenged me to a race. We went outside and he beat me easily and let some of the air out of my rather inflated fifth grade ego. I should say my grandfather wasn't a normal person. Throughout most of his life, he worked at one back-breaking job or another. He did 100 push-ups every day, and despite decades of twice-weekly trips to those all-you-can-eat buffets where he stuffed his face on plate after plate of fried chicken and mac and cheese, he lived to more than 100. As to your question, I'm not really worried about our obesity problem and how it's going to affect our children's performance in the Olympics or any other top-level sporting venue. Like my grandfather, elite athletes in any sport, except maybe curling, aren't like the rest of us. They have always been and always will be freaks of nature who can do things that boggle the mind. I do worry, however, about how the obesity epidemic will affect everyone else. Obese kids suffer from conditions that didn't used to appear until adulthood, such as high blood pressure and diabetes, liver disease, heart problems, and even osteoporosis. And sick, out-of-shape children tend to grow up to be sick, out-of-shape adults. Here's a little bit of irony for you. While children's fitness levels have been slipping, record numbers of kids are getting involved in organized sports. It's hard to reconcile those two ideas, but here's my theory about what's going on. Organized sports are highly structured and focus on developing and honing individual skills, but they don't encourage endurance. Schools across the country are getting rid of physical education programs. The majority of elementary, middle, and high schools 
don't require PE every day, and many allow kids to replace PE with other non-physical activities such as community service. Many districts have even eliminated daily recess. Parents are so obsessed, often unnecessarily, with their kids' safety that they don't let them walk or bike to school. The amount of time kids spend on unstructured outside playtime has plummeted. Instead of running around with their friends, kids are texting, FaceTiming, Instagramming, and playing games on their phone. Most children don't get the 60 minutes of daily sweat-inducing physical activity that pediatricians, fitness experts, and the CDC recommend, largely because most parents don't make exercise a priority and enforce it. For regular folks like you and me, the solution is simple. Take the kids out and make them exercise, with you, of course. It doesn't matter what it is as long as it's strenuous. That probably won't turn them into Olympic athletes, but there's a good chance that it will help them and you live longer, healthier lives. If you've got a question or a comment or a concern, please do drop us a line about that through our website, mrdad.com. We'll be back next week with another segment for you. Hey, but don't go quite yet because, as you know, there's a lot more of this Positive Parenting show coming right up. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to. Nope. I'm sure you've got a perfectly good excuse. Kids, work. <laughs> I get it. You're busy. So what better time than now? Let's begin. Raise one finger if you're a man. Ladies, none yet. Oh, count in your head if you're driving. Now, three more fingers for everyone over 60, two over 50, one over 40, one more if you're not physically active, another finger if anyone in your family has type 2 diabetes, another if you've got high blood pressure. If you're overweight, raise another finger, two if you're very overweight, and three if you're really overweight. You've just taken the world's first audio prediabetes test. And if you're holding up five or more fingers, visit doihaveprediabetes.org or talk to your doctor. There's no excuse because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brott from the MrDad.com radio network. Hey there, welcome back. This is the second part of today's Positive Parenting Show. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. Kids have a fantastic way of looking at the world, and they're often kind, curious, and completely honest about the things they experience. We have a tendency to lose those natural traits as we get older, but it doesn't really have to be that way. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with a guy who spent a lot of time gathering stories that people have shared about the lessons they've learned from their children. You know, those hilarious anecdotes that really make you think to the completely out-of-the-blue, insightful thoughts on modern issues. As parents, a lot of us see our mission in life as to get our children to grow up to take on more responsibility, to move out of the house, to become adults. But in a lot of cases, growing up may not be the best advice. 
We all know plenty of farmer children who've grown up to become solemn adults who don't enjoy their work or their life or their world. Growing up has cost these adults and a lot of us very, very dearly. So maybe we ought to be teaching our kids to grow down or teaching ourselves to grow down. Kids can teach adults incredible things about life. And it may all start with this show, which is designed really to get you back to your unbiased childhood mind while entertaining you with the incredible things that could only come out of the mouth of a child. Hey, there he is. How's it going? I'm having a stroke. Are you going to shake my hand or what? I'm having a stroke. Wow, you're not even moving your arm. I'm having a stroke. Are you okay? I'm having a stroke. Your face looks weird, too. I'm having a stroke. Are you having a seizure or something? I'm having a stroke. When someone is having a stroke, they may not be able to say it with words, but their body language will tell you loud and clear. I'm having a stroke. You just need to know the sudden signs. Look for FAST, F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. Or S, speech difficulty. Then T, time. Time to call 911 immediately. Because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. Know the sudden signs. Face, arm, speech, time. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Alan Klein, who's the author of Secrets Kids Know That Adults Ought to Learn. Enrich your life by viewing it through the eyes of a child. Alan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming back on the show. It's been a couple of years. It's been, yes, a couple of years, and I really appreciate being back. Thank you. Well, I would like you to start us off with a, a Nice little anecdote that you told in the introduction to the book about what you think may have been the genesis of this, about your, your daughter banging on the door and bothering you and interrupting you from writing a book uh, right, with, with a right. message that she had. Tell that story. So it was many years ago. I was writing my first book, The Healing Power of Humor. My daughter was a young teenager, and um, I'm writing my first book. I don't know, you know, how long it would take, uh, deadline, all of that. And I'm writing away, and every 10, 15 minutes, there'd be a knock on the door. And it was my daughter telling me some little thing that happened to her that she wanted for dinner. I mean, any, it could have, most of it could have waited. But she would annoy me, and finally I, I got really upset, and I put this big sign on my office door that said, Sarah, do not disturb unless it's an emergency. And, of course, 10, 15 minutes later, now I'm really furious. You know, she's banging on the door. Yes, Sarah, what do you want? And I'm screaming, and, and she said, uh, I said, Sarah, is this an emergency? And she said, yes, um, open the door. And I got up, I was furious, I opened the door, I said, Sarah, what is the emergency? And she said, Dad, I need to tell you that I love you. And it just really <laughs> yeah. got to me, yeah. you know, here. And, and when I look back, I realize here was a young child telling me that um, I'm getting too serious and I'm writing a book about the healing power of humor. 
<laughs> there you go. And, exactly. And so it just, it really touched me and it stuck with me all these years. And I thought, I need to write a book about how wise, how, how wonderful kids are. Yeah, yeah. I had a, not quite the uh, same kind of a thing, but I remember as I was writing my first book, which was all about how dads need to be more involved with their kids' lives, and that uh, I ended up having to hire a babysitter so that I could have somebody take care of my kid while I'm writing a book about how other people should take care of their kids. Which uh, <laughs> you know, these these little little yeah. ironies that that end up coming back to cause you chuckles later on in life. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but see, kids can teach us so much, and I think adults don't realize that. Well, I mean, it's it's something that people have known about for a while. I remember with Art Linkletter was something like "Kids Say the Darndest Things," or right. it was a, a show that was a book like that. I mean, so we we know that kids can occasionally have penetrating insights. You kind of wonder how many of them are deliberate and how many of them are just a. a a random collection of words that just happens to come out in a particularly impactful way once in a while. Well, I think our Linkletter's book was more about just the kids, things kids say, and yes, those words come out of them, and because of the disconnect or, or things we don't think about, they're funny. My book is slightly different, much different, actually. It's more um, the things we can learn from kids. Um, you know, and that kids actually that the, the uh, friend of mine pointed out the title of the book is not really correct because for kids it's not secrets. You know, they intuitively know some of this, so it's not really a secret. Um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, it's it's marketing, so secrets kids know was a, was a better title than some intuitive things that kids know that you should know. Um, yeah. But it, it's <laughs> uh, it, it, it's something that kids know, I think, and it just it just um, maybe it's drilled out of them when we get to be adults. Um, I don't know about you, Armin, but when I grew up, I was told by teachers to settle down, get serious. When are you going to wipe that smirk off your face? You know, and then yeah, we, yeah. We get serious, and then we wonder, wait a minute, I'm not having such a great time here in life. So I think we can tap into the that kid knowledge again. Well, let's start with the one that I think most of us would agree with. I think if if you spend five minutes looking at a, a little kid running around all over the place, or even just a, a, a baby, be amazed. That's that's number one. And, and I, I actually found myself doing this the other day. I was walking around my neighborhood taking my dog for a walk, and happened to be behind a woman who had a baby in a backpack. And just looking at, at, at this kid and thinking, what is going on in there? I mean, this kid's under a year old. And mm-hmm. just eyes wide, taking everything in and looking and then turning his head quickly to look at something else. You think, I have no recollection of that from my own childhood. I don't think anybody does. But just the, the sense of wonder and everything being new and how marvelous that must have felt. Yeah, and, and you know, in Zen, they call it beginner's mind. If adults can just train themselves to look again with beginner's mind, like a child, that everything is new, everything can be amazing. I mean, I had some begonias. They're still blooming, actually, outside my kitchen window, and they look really beautiful. I took a photo of them. I put it on Facebook. 
But then one day I was outside watering them, and I got closer, and I looked at, I hadn't noticed the leaves had like red veins if, if I turned the leaf over. And the flower had a totally different color inside than the outer leaf, the outer part of the flower. And the, and the little um, stamens, I think they're called, you know, was a different color than the flower. And it was just, I maybe spent five to ten minutes just looking at that flower and was so amazed that was different than when I just saw it through the window. Yeah, but and, you got to take you got to take that. the time to do that, though. Exactly. I mean, the kids have got nowhere to go, and and that's that's one of, you know it's a, one of the ironies I, I, of taking your kids out for a walk is you might never get anywhere. And you know, you know yeah, and you, well, that's fine <laughs> if you're not in a hurry. That's fine. Uh, or you have to be somewhere. Um, because kids, yeah, they show us that um, the world is new, that we may not have seen stuff, even though we've gone the same route every day. What amazes me these days is so many people on their cell phones that they don't see, they don't even see each other. And I think that's kind of a sad state. And, and kids, on the other hand, they relate to everybody almost. I mean, I was at a conference happened to meet this kid at the lunch table and later in the day I was walking outside down the path and this kid just came running up to me and gave me this great big hug and so they treat people differently than adults I think they just you know imagine it if you just met someone and then you later on you you totally embrace them or at least chatted with them and said hello and it's so good to see you and um, just really acknowledge them as, as a person who, even though you just met them, how wonderful they are. And that's what kids do. Well, so give us another one. So we had BMAs. That seems like a, a quite a good place to start. Well, I think um, one of the things that amazed me about kids is that the sky's the limit, that the world is so abundant. You know, kids go, why can't I have that? You know, I want that. <laughs> Um, like everything is available. Uh, one one young woman was at, at a zoo with her mom, and her mom said, dear, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she thought for a while, she said, oh, I'd like to be a nurse. And the mom said, well, you know, just because you're female doesn't mean you have to be a nurse. You can be whatever you want. And so the little girl thought for a while, she said, okay, then I'd like to be a camel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and and another child was taken to work you know take your child to work day and people the person was a reporter her dad was a reporter and so people were asking her do you want to be a reporter like your dad and the little girl said no I want to be a dancer clown doctor who drives bulldozers (laughs) absolutely and and kids you know anything is possible and adults go, yeah, but I can't do that. I don't have the money. Yes, but, you know, no, you know, they, they're always putting the butts in, in, you know, why they can't do or have something. And kids, yeah. not true. Sky's the limit for kids. Talking with Alan Klein, who's the author of Secrets Kids Know That Adults Ought to Learn. Enrich Your Life by Viewing It Through the Eyes of a Child. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Alan. We'll get some more ideas of what some of those secrets that kids know that we ought to remember. We probably knew them at one point. I'm Armin Brott. 
You're listening to Positive Parenting. It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. FeedThePig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to sell all your belongings and live in a commune. These dungarees belong to all of us now, Tom. You don't need to get a second job as a stuntman. We need a new stuntman! You just need FeedThePig.org. Don't get left behind. Get tips and tools at FeedThePig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broad. If you're just joining us, talking with Alan Klein, the author of Secrets Kids Know That Adults Ought to Learn. And I I'm, was intrigued by number four. I'm intrigued by a lot of these. But number four just hit me in, in the gut a little bit because I remember it's, it's be creative, color outside the lines. I remember very distinctly. I wish I could remember exactly what day that what this was. But it was a an event that happened with my, my oldest daughter. She must have been maybe three or four. What she used to have the I mean, she's an artist now, but she used to have an incredible uh, sense of of what she wanted to draw and what she wanted to accomplish. And I remember sitting with her, she would draw something, and I would get a stapler or tape and and add keep adding pieces of paper on so she could make this thing that would snake all over the house. And it, it was wonderful. I loved these things, and I still have boxes full of them in the garage. But I remember there was one day where she got out some paper and her marker she was going to draw, and she put a, a dot in the middle of the page and broke into tears. Mm. And I said, what's, what's wrong? What happened? And she said, it's wrong. It's not, it's not in the right place. <laughs> I thought, wow. Uh, like that, she just grew up that day. All of a sudden, the, the, the judgment voice kicked in instead of the, I can do whatever I want, however I want to do it. It was such a bizarre thing. Right. But it just it really hit me that, you know, that, as we talked about it, you know, we, we change when we grow up. We, we lose track of some of these lessons. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I actually thought you were leading to the story about a teacher in this chapter, actually, who put a dot on the blackboard of a high school a class, a teenage class in high school and asked what it was, what the dot was. And most of the kids in the class said it's a dot on the blackboard. And then she went to a kindergarten class, put a dot on the blackboard, asked the class what it was, and kids said things like, oh, it's a spaceship in outer space. It's a star in the sky. Um, It's a fly in the windshield. It's a dog seen from the roof of the Empire State Building. So, again, we, we just talked about that, but kids um, somehow outgrow some of that creativity, and I think we adults can learn um, yeah. how to be more creative from young kids. You know, there's a, a thing that I used to do with my my youngest, who's just started high school, but when she was very little, we'd all, after school, always go to this one bagel place, and we'd sit and, and talk about about life and different kinds of things. And, and we got in the habit of, of trying to make up five reasons why something would happen. <laughs> and, and I remember sitting in, the, in this bagel shop with her once, and her, her favorite onion bagels or whatever they were were out. They were out that day. So, okay, so all right, let's figure out five reasons why 
they're out of onion bagels. Mm, mm. And, I mean, just, you know, the, the truck got hijacked. There was a, a <laughs> you know, bugs had, in, had uh, swarmed through the onion fields and there were no more onion ba- available. Somebody misspelled onion and then they <laughs> it got sent to the wrong. I mean, just, just to try to get into a little bit of a mode of doing that every once in a while, to come up with completely off-the-wall reasons why something might happen. I think that 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 kind of thing helped to, or helps, can help anyway, stimulate a little bit of creativity and get back some of the the playfulness that we lose. And actually in in, uh, some of my workshops, when I do a section on play, we look at what problem or what things are stressing people out at work, and then we look at how would a child see that? And often they come up with most of the things they can't actually go back to work and do. But every now and then it will just, oh, the, that kind of creativity opens the door. And they go, yeah, you know, I, I, could, do, I could do that. I, I could get up every half hour and um, draw on, on the blackboard or, or, you know, look at the cartoon on the bulletin board or whatever it is. But it's... Um, just being more creative and by looking through the eyes of a child at the problem or the stress. What's one of your favorites? Well, you just touched certainly on uh, creativity um, is one. But I guess um, another one, you know, I'd like to go back to the sky's the limit because in my life I've seen over and over how if I look at the world through abundant eyes, like a child would, I just can create stuff. Um, I wanted to march in the Macy Day Parade, and so I didn't know how to do it. <laughs> how, do, how do I get invited to do that? Um, but a child might go, you know, I want to be in the parade. And so I just start asking everyone I knew. And then I thought, well, the most people I know is through Facebook, 2,000 or so, you know, followers. And someone on Facebook got me into the Macy Day Parade. Um, <laughs> How do you do that? You don't just show up and, and slip into no, lines? No, I had, a, I had a right to the right person, the organizer. I had to tell them why I wanted to be in it. I had to uh, promise I'd be there in costume and, you know, all, all of it. It took some effort. And I had to be there at 6.30 in the morning on a freezing day. But um, it showed me that I can, be, I can think outside the box, like kids do, and I can create something I wanted to do. That's a uh, valuable lesson, yeah. 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 Just, yeah. So just ask. Creativity and, and thinking outside the box, the sky's... Why can't I... 8,000 8, people march in the Macy Day Parade. Why can't I be one of them? <laughs> well, <laughs> the fact that you're 2,500 miles away is, is well, probably a limiting you know, factor, yeah. It's a little plane ride. <laughs> True. But, True. But, but what I'm saying uh, is that kids don't go, oh, I'm 2,500 miles away. Oh, you know, I won't be invited. Or, you know, kids just take the bull by the horn. This is what I want. And they go after it sometimes. All right. The emperor has no clothes. That's one that, that comes up. I think I keep thinking of that as, a, as an analogy for so many things that happen in the world. As you say, oh, that's a real emperor has no clothes type of thing where, where everybody is 
refusing to acknowledge that something is the way that it is. You're not talking about politics right now, are you? Absolutely not. I don't talk about politics. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's secret number 17, be truthful. So yeah. there, I mean, it's, it's, a great, it's a great lesson to be truthful. Wonder whether there's, there's also a little bit of a, but maybe not too truthful. Because sometimes, sometimes kids will, obviously, will say more than they should. Right. Um, I have a funny story about that. I was at the theater, a movie theater, with my daughter when she was much younger. And I noticed that Joel Gray, the actor, was sitting right in front of us. And my daughter <laughs> looks at the back of Joel's head because we were right behind him. And she kind of tells me but yells out, I didn't know Joel Gray was getting bald. <laughs> <laughs> so, did, yeah, kids say sometimes, you know, yes, he was. So it was truthful, but it was a bit embarrassing for me. But um, kids are truthful. And I remember when my daughter was growing up, I said, Sarah, never lie to me. Because if you tell me one lie, I won't know from then on whatever you tell me, whether it's true or not. And so we had this pact that I would never lie to her and she would never lie to me. Um, and even, I said, you know, I may not like it. It may be embarrassing or I may not like what you're telling me, but don't don't lie. Tell me the truth and then we can go from there and deal, deal with that. And, and that's the way um, our relationship has been our whole life. And you think you've kept to that? You think she's kept to that? I, on the most part, yeah, I think so. I can't remember a time when we try to cover up something. Um, yeah, I hope so. All right, so give me one more. <laughs> well, oh, there's the, so back many. To the, back to loving kindness. You know, kids, young kids, you know, they'll, uh, some other kid will take away the toy for a moment and the kid will get all upset, and then the next minute or so... It's like they're friends again. It's they kiss and make up. So I think kids um, do that. It's like they don't hold grudges. They move. They may get angry, but then they move on. You know, then that kid is their best friend. Uh, one minute they didn't like that kid, and the next minute their best friend. I think that's a great lesson um, that we can learn, uh, particularly today when there's a lot. I see a lot of hate in the world that we can be kinder, we can be more loving, we can be more compassionate. Alan Kleins, the author of Secrets Kids Know That Adults Ought to Learn, Enrich Your Life by Viewing It Through the Eyes of a Child. Alan, thanks again for being on the show. Great to have you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.